So we're getting uh, closer to Christmas, and uh, as we approach, we are, we've started in our series at uh, creation, at the very beginning of time, and moved forward, and now we're at uh, Luke chapter 2 and, and verse 8, as we uh, have tracked with Jesus and the story of his origins. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you'll recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to all whom God favors. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. They ran to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Then the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. So, true confession time. When I was a teenager, I did not like camping. Now, some of you have heard me tell stories, and uh, when we've swapped stories about vacation, or if you've ever asked me about our vacation time, you know, I love going places. It's always really rough. People go, how, how is that a vacation when you go and you walk the whole time, like you're hiking the entire time? But I love to go camping now, but then I hated it. I don't know. Partly it was like being trapped in a small tent trailer with seven members of my family, uh, all of us. There were seven, including me. Um, I didn't like being close to them. I didn't like being out in the wilderness. I didn't like being dirty and smelly. Uh, it was also the 80s, so you couldn't plug a blow dryer into a tree, and that was kind of a deal breaker for me back then. I was hoping that my hair would attract, you know, the right lady, and uh, I don't know if it worked or not worked, but, but it was my strategy. And, uh, well, I did okay now, right? But I, I didn't like tenting then. I didn't like camping uh, I, I look at it differently now, and now tenting is kind of a big part of almost every vacation we go on. If I don't tent, it's because I can't carry my tent in carry-on on an airplane. So when we, when we have to fly somewhere, we, uh, Roxanne and I will pack everything into our backpacks, and it'll be carry-on, and that's all we're taking with us. And then we rent a camper van, and we get somewhere like Death Valley or Joshua Tree, Places with cheery names like Death Valley, right? But I love being out there. I love hiking. There's some of my best experiences have been doing that. Um, we've been tenting when our kids were smaller. We did tenting in like Colorado, and like this, the sky was blue on one side and black on the other as the storm was coming towards us. And you know, we're setting up in the middle of this storm and wondering if our tent's going to blow over. It was crazy, but uh, it was it was great. It was an adventure. We've been at the Grand Canyon, and, uh, and when, we, when we went to the Grand Canyon, 
I remember having to hide, especially from my, my little son, Jonah. You've probably seen this little guy wandering around here somewhere. But he was afraid of everything at that point. And we, we pulled in, and you know when they have those uh, bulletin boards on the entry to a, to a campground? Well, this bulletin board had a warning about uh, mountain lions, like cougars, and bears, and, uh, and poisonous snakes, and scorpions. And so we're in a tent, and tents are about that thin, and you're like, okay, we can't let Jonah know this. But it was incredible, because there was the scenery, and there were things that we could go, and places we could go, and things we could see that you couldn't see, and you couldn't get up close to unless you were willing to be in a tent. It's not a luxury accommodation. It's not for the crew that goes, I need to be in a hotel uh, with, with room service to be on vacation. Like, that's my idea of the ultimate vacation. It's not even cottage people. It's not even, even the people who go camping, but it's really glamping. You know, the people who go, well, we're going camping. And you go, oh, yeah? And they go, yeah, we, we have this 40-foot trailer with a bathroom and a shower. That's not camping. I'm sorry. It just doesn't count. But we love to go somewhere with a tent because there's places you can get. And now that I vacation only with people I really like being around, a tent's not so bad. And we kind of enjoy it. We've only in the last year or two started talking, and Roxanne is kind of nudging me and going, can we do a trailer? Can we do a small trailer? I'm willing to at least talk about it, but it's got to be a really small one. It's like none of, nothing really big. Because that's part of the adventure for me. So we started this series in, in John's gospel. And at the beginning, he starts off and uh, he says, The word became human and lived here among us. So the beginning of the story about Jesus starts out before the beginning of time when there's just God. And Jesus is God, so he's there and... Uh, and, and John describes them as the Word, and he says, Bef the Word became human. You know, there's this point in history where the creator of the universe became a human being and lived here on earth among us. And, and it's translated in the translation I usually read from, lived here on earth among us. The original word is like tabernacled or tented. And so what he's saying is, the Word became human and lived in a tent in our neighborhood. Like as close as a tent set up in your backyard. That's what it was like. God in a tent. And if you, if you follow with the story of Israel and you realize, you know, the promise to Abraham, uh, God had promised that he would make him a great nation and that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and they would be his people and he would be their God. And he makes this deal with Abraham. And then the, the covenant moves forward and, and, and we encounter Moses. And when Moses leads the people out of captivity in, in Egypt, they, they travel through the desert and, and they encounter this God. And there's, there's a tabernacle, right, that represents God's presence. But they're traveling through the desert, and they come to Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is the place where Moses goes up and comes down with the tablets, you know, the, the, the law etched on them, the Ten Commandments and, and the laws of God. And he comes down and tells them what the deal is going to be between God and mankind. 
And when he comes down with the law, like, like there's this whole scene where the people are all gathered around the foot of the mountain. And they're not even supposed to step on the edge of the mountain. Like they got to stand back because it needs some space. they got to respect that God is going to visit them from the mountain. And you don't want to get too close because of his glory. And so... At Mount Sinai, people weren't even allowed to touch the boundaries of the mountain, and God speaks to them from the cloud, and he said, we're told in, in Exodus chapter 19, on the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down from the mountains, and all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire, and the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. Now, there's scenes in Scripture that we go, I would, have been, I, I would have loved to be there and seen that. But I'm not sure we would have loved to have been there and seen that. Now, isn't there part of you that goes, like, that had to be so scary, so overwhelming when all of this happens and the mountain's shaking and there's fire and smoke and, and everything is kind of overload of the senses and... And there's thunder roaring and lightning cracking. And you're like, oh man, what's going to happen now? I don't, I don't think anybody after that started to happen was even close to tiptoeing into the line at the edge of the, where the mountain started. Do you, don't you think? Maybe at the beginning when they said stand back, they went, what, what do you mean? What's the big deal? But after that, it was like, stand back. There's something going on here. God is showing up. And there's, there's these powerful things happening in nature that are kind of letting you know that what's happening is serious. What happen what's happening is a big deal. And so the whole mountain shook violently. It's scary for them. And rightly so, they were afraid. And then we've got encounters in the Old Testament like Elijah. He, he encountered God and he, was in a, he, he moves into a cave so that God's presence wouldn't be too close to him. And he's in the cave, and, and this is how it's described. It says... Uh, <coughs> When he's in the cave, it says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake came the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I don't know, if, if rocks started splitting in half and there's thunder and, and, and all of this and the wind is, is blowing so hard that rocks are just being shattered and then an earthquake and then fire, do you think the quiet would be any more soothing? Do you think the quiet that comes after that isn't, is something that you'd go, oh good, it's over? Or do you think you would be standing there going, what is going to happen now? Just this anticipation, this buildup, like, oh no, all this scary stuff's happened, and now it's quiet, it's a little too quiet. And Elijah's like, I, I, I want to get close to God, but I don't want to burn my face off, so I'm going to cover my face. I don't want to look at it, but I want to be there. 
and see all through the Old Testament into the New Testament, there are encounters that people have with God or, or with angelic beings. And even the angels, they're, they're just representatives of God. They don't have the glory of God, but they represent his presence. They represent his glory. And so even when angels show up, every time an angel shows up, people kind of freak out a little bit. Like they get really scared because there's something sacred about God's presence. He's a little overwhelming. He's more than we can handle. So there's this majesty. There's this awe to it. They're just blown away. And so when we come forward into the New Testament and we move through that whole story of God and his presence with his people, we come to this story, and now we're getting closer to Christmas, like we're, we're right outside the village where Jesus is born. And, and just outside a, uh, of the village in the fields, there's these shepherds, and it's that night, like the night it all happens. And an angel shows up, and it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord, an angel, one angel, among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terribly frightened they were petrified they were freaked out like it was scary one angel and they're like i don't even know what to do the radiance of the lord's glory surrounded them because they encountered one angel and before the night's out like like at the end there's there's a whole bunch of angels but no wonder the shepherds were afraid. They, it's not that they're skittish. It's not because they're simple country folk and they don't know any better. You could be the most sophisticated person of that day or even our day. An angel shows up and he represents and he brings the radiance of the Lord's presence, like this says. That's going to throw you off your game. Like you're not just going to be able to stand there and, and go, no big deal. There's something appropriate about being awestruck and being fearful and realizing how big a deal it is that this is happening. And so the, the shepherds, they, they flip out a little bit. Now, I've, I've been to the zoo. You ever been to the zoo? Two or three people. Oh, a few more brave ones. The zoo, African lion safari, when you're a kid, if you got to go there as a kid or even as an adult, you realize there are fences and there are walls and there are rules, right? There's always that sign that says, like, don't stick your arm in here, right? You've seen these signs, people who've been to the zoo? There's always a warning that says, stay behind the barricade. That sign's there for that one dude, right? That one dude who has no sense of self-preservation and thinks he's going to be a smart aleck. You go, oh, and then, but you know, it's even that guy, most of the time, he's going to pull his arm back long before the lion, the lion flinches on the other side of the compound. And that guy's like, oh, I wasn't scared. No, no. But there's this sense of when you get there, you give those animals their space. They're just animals, but you take them seriously because they've got some power. Because anything that can rip your arm out of your socket you kind of want to take it seriously. It's got some power. It can do some damage. And so you give those animals their space. You don't get into their compound. You don't jump over the wall and go, ah, and then jump back. It's not cool. 
not going to work out for you, not a good idea, right? And so most of us are smart enough to go, I'm just going to respect that rule. They're just animals, lions, tigers, cougars, doesn't matter. You're going to keep your distance. If you go to African Lion Safari, if you roll your window down, you make sure you can roll it up fast enough before they move from where they are. If, they get, if they're standing anywhere near your car, you're not going to roll your window down, right? Because you want something between you and them. You want some space, some distance, some, some safety. And when I was growing up in Toronto, I remember the Pope coming to visit and the parades they would do, and, and I remember when the queen came to visit. And they were both kind of similar. There was barricades, and there were streets blocked off, and there were stores closed down, and, and there was this space that you had to give, so there were armed guards all over the place, and, and there were people assigned to make sure you didn't get too close. Why? Because Her Majesty deserves the respect of a little bit of personal space, right? It's for safety, and, it, and it's, it's as a measure of respect, and they insist on it. So they did it for the Pope. They did it for the Queen. It's like, stand back. She's pretty majestic. You should, you should keep your distance. Give them a wide berth, like, like stay back. Now, the zoo just has animals. And the Queen... You may be really big into the royalty, but ultimately she's just a woman. And so both of them are, 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 are creatures or people that we give a little bit of respect to. We give some respect to. We, we, we honor the power of the animals. We honor the majesty of the queen. But in the end, the queen's a political figurehead. And she's majestic and regal, but she's just a human woman. And God, as we saw in, in John's gospel and in the hymn in Colossians, they sang, they spoke, they celebrated the fact that the God of the entire universe who was coming to earth in Jesus, he had all the power, unlimited power, and he has all the majesty. He's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And when it comes to that, no animal is, is even in the, in the running for power next to, next to Jesus. And, and no earthly power or, or authority, not even the queen, has anything that even touches his majesty. People don't sing, the queen saved the God, right? That's not how the song goes, because she is not as high as the king of heaven. And the Pope, he's just a dude with a great hat at the end of the day. And so Jesus, who we celebrate at Christmas, his story begins in eternity. He's got all the power and all the majesty. And it's almost unfathomable that it starts from that and that then he's described in, in John's prologue as being the God who created all. And then he says, like he moved into the neighborhood in a tent. Like he came and was around us like he was that close. 
when we pulled up to the Grand Canyon and we noticed that sign, we, we like made sure our kids couldn't see it. But you know when you're, when you're going into the tent, I checked the zipper and I made sure it was zipped up all the way that night. The only thing between me and some of those creatures was like a li thin layer of canvas about that wide. We were vulnerable. Every time uh, my hand dangled off my uh, air mattress, I pulled it back on. I didn't know what could wiggle under the tent. We were vulnerable. There was not anything to protect us from the outside. We were very accessible. There was us, there was some canvas, and there was that one zipper, and that's it. And the scripture says that God, who created everything, who has all the power and all the majesty, who even his servants inspire this awe and this fear and this reverence, that God is the same God who shows up in the manger. And so this God of all the power, you're like, his majesty, he's the king of heaven. He deserves respect. His power is unequaled. His, his uh, majesty is unrivaled. Like, like he's it. And the angel, the angel speaks to the shepherds and he goes, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Isn't, isn't their response of fear like, like the most appropriate thing ever? Is, doesn't it make the most sense that they're scared? Does it even make sense for him to say to them, don't be afraid? How does that even work? How can they even be there in this sacred moment, on this, in this sacred place where something such a big deal has happened that God is coming to earth? H how do they even stand up? They're just a bunch of shepherds. Just a bunch of guys with the smell of sheep on them. Too many nights sleeping outside. How can they even be there? And how does it make sense for the angel to tell them to be, not to be afraid? The angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And then the angel chorus, like, all breaks out. They all join that one angel, and they find there's a whole crowd of them. And they're just singing God's praises, and the glory of the Lord is surrounding them. How does it make sense for them not to be scared in this moment? How does it make sense for them to hear what the angel says and actually do what he asked them to do? And the only thing that makes any sense is, is because... This God who is the God of the universe, this God who created everything, this God who has all the power and all the majesty is the same God of John's gospel. The same one that John says, so the word became human and lived here. He tabernacled, he tented among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory. It's the glory of the Father. Like we were there for that. We saw it with our own eyes. 
That same God that John talks about, he says he came and he tented. He came in the most humble way you can imagine. He moved into the neighborhood and there wasn't the fanfare and there wasn't the barricades and there wasn't any of that. He made himself completely vulnerable and completely approachable. He doesn't want us to be scared. It's not that his majesty is diminished. It's not that his power is reduced. It's not that the shepherds are not experiencing the radiance of the glory of the Lord, but it's just that the radiance of the glory of the Lord is saying, I want you to see me. I'm inviting you to come and stand there, and I'm going to put myself in the position where you can get close to me. And so a bunch of smelly shepherds, and they drop everything, and they run. <laughs> like they run to get there. And when they get to the manger, they find this baby. And he probably looks like every other baby that they've ever seen. But the glory of the Lord is there because the baby is God. And these poor simple guys, they get to be there because they've been invited. Because God wants them there. Because he wants us to be able to get close to him. And he invites us into his presence. And the thing is that he still comes like that. And it doesn't diminish his glory. But he gets close and he invites us up close and personal. And so the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, a great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born tonight in Bethlehem in the city of David. And then he says, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to all whom God favors. Glory to God in highest heaven Peace on earth to all whom God favors. Because God favors wise men who are looking for him in all the wrong ways. And he pulls them towards himself so that they can see Jesus. And so that they fall at his feet and they worship toddler Jesus. And he is the God who, finds, who gives his favor to a bunch of smelly shepherds who don't know much but are out there and are close enough that he pulls them to himself and he invites them to be there the moment that God comes into the world as a baby and so that they get to see his glory and they get to get that close that they can touch it. That they can know him. And so the shepherds, or the, the wise men, they worship. And the shepherds, the very last line of our passage this morning, then the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said about this child. Like they could not shut up telling their story. Everybody they met got a little bit of, hey, there was this one night out in the field. Like we were just doing our regular stuff with the sheep. And you're not going to believe this part. Like, you're going to think I'm crazy. But an angel, I know, an angel, 
And he led us to this place, and we saw this baby, and, th and this baby was no ordinary baby. And I can't believe we got to be there for it, but we did. There's no one else. There was just Mary and Joseph, like his parents, and, and us. Believe it if you want and don't, but I'm telling you, it's true. The wise men were favored to be able to encounter Jesus. And the shepherds were favored to be able to be right there when it all went down that first night. And you and I, we are favored by the same invitation that Jesus draws us to himself. And he says, hey, if you want to get close to me, I'm right here. Like, I'll be as close as you want me to be. If you move towards me, I will make it all the way towards you. You can encounter Jesus in such a way that you can feel and see and know his glory, not in a scared out of your wits kind of way, but in a way that makes you know that he wants you there, that you've been invited, that you are his and he's yours. So the angel says, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all whom God favors. Wise men, shepherds, Whitewater Wesleyan people, we are favored of God because we are invited into his presence, because we are invited to be his people, because we are invited to experience the glory of the one living God who created everything and meets with us. And the only correct response to that is to worship him like the wise men did and to tell everybody that will possibly listen to you like the shepherds did. Like, how do you, how do you cage that and keep from talking about it if you've encountered Jesus? The only right thing to do is worship him whenever you get an opportunity to never miss a chance to worship him with your whole heart and to give him everything that you've got in you when you do. Like sometimes I think if we walk out that door and our voice still works, we didn't sing enough. Like we didn't throw ourselves into it enough. The wise men and the shepherds, simple people like us, invited to be with Jesus, invited to know him and to encounter him and to walk away changed enough that you never stop worshiping and you never stop telling.